You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by SunWiz, makers of PV cell software, and Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to this episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, how are you? Fantastic. Thanks, Giles. You're, um, you're, you're down and dirty on the street by the sounds of it, are you? I am down and dirty on the street. Look, I've been in Sydney and I'm actually in an alleyway in Newtown recording this live. Well, kind of live. But um, so away from, away from the studio... And um, and um, it's sort of kind of sort of on my mobile phone. So look, it's it's a miracle that we're getting to, doing this at all, Nigel. It's a miracle that we're doing this at all. I and, know. Um, I, I only got home five and, minutes ago, <laughs> so I'm doing it from the study tonight as well instead of the office. So, oh, yeah, yeah. keeping it real. That's what I like. This is fed income podcasting. Oh, look, this is Fed Income Podcasting on the run. And um, yes, anyway, so look, I've come down for, to, to Sydney for the um, for the uh, Smart Energy Conference, uh, where we got to hear sort of Malcolm Turnbull and um, a bunch of other people. Um, How was that? Was I, I couldn't make it, sadly, and um, I, I was really disappointed. Well, look, you were disappointed. I was disappointed because I got to listen to him, and I'm still struggling with this idea. Is it more disappointing that, in the words of Malcolm Turnbull, his um, the um, you know all the right wing nutters and the and, and the climate deniers refuse to believe his claims about how renewables are cheaper, or is it more disappointing that Malcolm Turnbull, while recognising that renewables are cheaper and that you can decarbonise and lower prices at the same time? refuses to do so and says that, you know, Labor's targets are too far too soon. <laughs> and um, apologies for that plane going overhead. And um, so, look, I was kind of, you know, I was just, I was befuddled and, you know, betwixt about this thing and um, I wasn't really too sure. But uh, look, after all of that, look, he got some headlines and I think he enjoys still being in the spotlight and I'm not too sure whether it's really going to change much of the narrative going around. But um, I went along to the Sundowners drinks afterwards um, and that's just, um, well, it's uh, quite an amazing show really, sort of a couple of hundred people from the solar industry getting together once every couple of months to share stories and um, the big story there um, clearly was the collapse of RCR Tomlinson and the effect on the projects, but not just that kind of all this sort of everything that sort of, you know, happens in the industry because of it. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, um, a lot of the way that these contracts have been structured, um, and I'm just going to wait for this car to go past. Big, big, big thing. I was chatting with some commercial guys the other day who were, you know, I said, oh, did you hear about this? And they said, yeah, oh, boy, you know, who hasn't in this space? And they don't do the large stuff, but they're, they're, they're in the large commercial rooftop space and were eyeing off that space. And they said, boy, there was a lesson in that for everybody, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And one of the most remarkable things is just the um, the risks and the penalties that the EPC contractors took on board on things like connections. Now, we know there's been lots of delays with connections because of problems at the network, new rules required by AEMO and um, other sort of issues. But it's been these contractors who've been sort of stuck in sort of um, carrying the um, carrying the can. So um, really quite amazing. But um, anyway, 
And look, before we get on to other things, I managed while I was there to actually get a couple of interviews um, in the bag, and um, quite interesting ones, re really. Um, the first one I think we're going to hear from is Andrea Gaffney. Now, Andrea used to work at Arena, Australian Renewable Energy Agency, and she went off with this really bright idea of doing some children's books about solar power and other renewables. So, um, I just took um, Andrea aside um, at the Smart Energy Council, and um, this is what she had to say. Andrea is the author of a new book, and it's the first of a series of books about renewable energy, and it's targeted at children. And the first one's called The Solar, The Electric Solar Sisters. Um, Andrea, thanks for joining us on Solar Insiders. Tell us why, what's inspired you to write this book? Well, thank you, Giles. I appreciate your time this afternoon and for giving me the opportunity to speak with you. The Electric Solar Sisters is the first of a series of books that are going to be written to help educate children about renewable energy and also to enable teachers to teach renewable energy. When I've sat back and had a look at the market, I've recognised that there is a gap um, in the market in terms of teaching children all about renewable energy. And Planet Renewables, which is the business that I have founded, is all about filling that gap and enabling children to learn about renewable energy and teachers to teach. Now you've been experienced in talking to lots of people in the renewable energy um, industry, particularly in your role previously at the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. What's different then about the communication to children uh, or with children about renewables? So this particular enterprise is all about engaging with children in a really fun, creative and imaginative way. I think the Australian renewable energy industry and probably um, the industry in other markets of the world is very good at talking to itself and in a manner and in a vocabulary that only adults understand. And if we are to develop the pipeline of talent that we're going to need to advance Australia to a world where we have 100% renewable energy then we need to start educating the children right from the very time that they enter at their schooling life and so this is all about developing that creativity and imagination in those children from the time that they enter a school. So tell us a little bit about the synopsis then of the electric solar systems. What's, what's the book about? <laughs> Sorry, the electric solar sisters, I should say. That's right. So the solar sisters is, the electric solar sisters tells a story about um, two girls that live on the roof of Energetic Alice House. And they just happen to wear the very same blue outfits that electrify during the day as soon as the sun wakes up. But of course, they experience issues with clouds cover they experience issues with rain coming over and coating them but they have a great time because of course they meet Bert the battery along the way <laughs> and Bert is there to make everything satisfactory and of course he provides power stably and reliably um, into Energetic Ella's house and of course he works co collaboratively with the um, Solar Sisters so that's basically the story and as I said, it is the first of probably about five um, different stories that I will produce and deliver into the marketplace. Um, there will be other characters, of course. We might have Maeve and Dave Wave. 
because they crave a wave because they're very, very brave. Harry Hydro um, will no doubt make an appearance and the name for the wind turbine um, is yet to be determined. Um, so if the listeners have some ideas on that, I'd be really delighted to take them on board. But is it, it is about communicating the fact that when these different renewable energy forms come together and they work together, then we can in fact actually have an energy system that actually works. It doesn't necessarily need to be the case that when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine that we don't have electricity. We just have to work these systems together and stabilise the grid and work with batteries to enable the energy to continue to flow. Well, I certainly hope that the, the Solar Sisters don't find um, uh, Bert the battery too high maintenance. Um, <laughs> the, um, the, um, um, you've written the book, um, and did you do the designs yourself as well, the, uh, the drawings? No. So I've, I've written the book, and I've worked with a 22-year-old, very talented um, illustrator. Um, she's wanting to move into animation, and potentially um, Planet Renewables might move into gamification but we'll wait and see. I've also worked with a crack hot um, uh, designer, uh, Rowan Kane, here in Sydney, and Chantal Eagle, Eagle is the illustrator. Um, but collaboratively, I think we've combined forces in a way that has produced a really impactful um, product and that is appealing to the young children. Well, congratulations. Look, it's certainly a lovely looking book and um, uh, we've just been listening to sort of Malcolm Turnbull a while ago and I think you offered him one copy and he came back and got another copy. So um, that has to be a good sign then. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is because he's now going to read those children's books to his grandchildren and let's hope that they grow up in and are inspired to work in the renewable energy industry too. Well, what a shame those children's books weren't available before he became Prime Minister rather than afterwards. But anyway, look, congratulations, Andrea, and um, yeah, well done. Thank you very much, Charles. So that was um, Andrea Gaffney from Planet Renewables and her, the first of her children's book. Um, so cool. Yes. So, uh, so cool. I've known Andrea for years. I used to work with her many years ago, and, and it's wonderful to see her uh, taking all that experience that she's got in the industry and and converting it into a kid's book on, on focused on the topic of solar that's just wonderful thing that she's done that's right yes yes and one can only imagine what happens when sort of the solar sisters shack up with uh, Bert the battery but um anyway we'll just leave that to the imagination um i've got another interesting interview with uh, chris mccraw from um 5b now these are these two young guys they came out of university of new south wales and they set up this business about this deployable solar panels and by be deployable they basically make everything in the factory they put it on the back of a truck and then they fold it out they can fold out 12 kilowatts in about 20 minutes 25 minutes yep. and they're now actually getting to the stage where they actually fold out 35 kilowatts takes them about twice as long, 40 minutes, but that's extraordinary when you think about it. Wow. But they're now starting to enter like the megawatt stage. So they're actually getting people who are interested in deploying these panels at megawatt stage or even better. Now, some of these people who do that are doing it because they might be miners and only want to solar um, power for a few years. Others because they just think it's a damn good deal anyway. So um, <laughs> let's have a listen to see what um, Chris would... Sorry. <laughs> so, no, go. We should hear what Chris has got to say. I love, I love what they do. Let's see what Chris has got to, got to say. So I'm down at the, um, well, just nearby the Sundowners um, 
quarterly drinks down here in Sydney, down near the Circle Quay, and I'm joined by Chris McGrath from 5B. Chris, thanks for joining Solar Insiders. Thank you very much for having us. Look, you're just about to unveil a new product. Um, tell us what it is and, um, and why it's significant. So we're unveiling our new product, the Megamav. The Megamav is a, is a larger, more utility-scale orientated version of our Maverick solution. So the Maverick solution is an entirely prefabricated, built in the factory and rapidly deployed on site solar solution. And the Megamav is the next evolution of that. So we're moving from the classic Mav, which is in the order of 12 kilowatts, up to a Megamav, which is a 35 kilowatt block. So it leaves our factory in a single piece, six ton block, deployed on site in about 15 or 20 minutes. Um, it's much lower cost, faster, um, and still has the flexibility and the density of the, the classic Mav solution. So who wants 35 kilowatts of solar de de um, deployed in 15 or 20 minutes? So we use that, that prefabricated methodology to really bring down risks on site. So it is very fast and that's, that's a great attribute to have. Um, but it's fast because it's also all the work's been done in a factory. So we have much better quality control, streamlined logistics, um, and we also don't uh, have any ground penetration or very few ground penetrations on site. So we're avoiding geotech risk on site. Um, a lot of the other site-specific engineering and design aspects are centralised and, and done in a more modular, scalable way. And the speed really represents um, us being able to do that. So who's been using this technology? Is it sort of for people who don't want a permanent solution for, for, for miners? I mean, I'm thinking of some people who have actually created solar farms and they've used your technology, your quickly deployable solar to actually sort of power their operations, which are then building the solar farm in, in turn. Mm -hmm. So is it people like that? And is it also people like in miners who don't necessarily have a 15-year, 20-year horizon, so they want something on the shorter horizon? It's a perfect question. This is actually what the Megamav is trying to do, is get towards more of a utility-scale permanent project kind of solution. So the Maverick solution is inherently portable and that's great, but it's actually just purely and simply lower cost and faster to deploy and the redeployability is free optionality in that. And the Megamav is really about us growing up the kind of curve of project scales and we're now starting to touch projects that are in um, multi-megawatts and multi-tens of megawatts and the Megamav is a, is a version of the Maverick that is more orientated towards those projects. So what sort of costs are you talking about then? So we're, we're hitting sub a dollar a watt for fully deployed projects, kind of turnkey up to the inverter terminals. Um, important to point out that we're generally not the EPC in these projects. We're effectively a technology company and an equipment supplier. Um, so, but we'd like to model that out and show what we can achieve on a total system basis. But really we like to think that we're basically leading, leading the industry in terms of cost of what we can deliver on these sites. Can that translate into a definable sort of, you know, levelised cost of energy? Yeah, so um, some interesting kind of data points recently, we're starting to look at, uh, albeit that I said we don't do short-term projects necessarily, um, it's certainly some of the projects we're starting to look at because it is a, a unique part of our value proposition in some projects. Um, and we can really start to get down to some short-term projects where even on, for example, a three-year lease basis, we can be offering energy at close to kind of 10 cents a kilowatt hour. And then on a longer-term basis, we're definitely kind of sub like seven, eight cents a kilowatt hour. So it's very competitive, but it's also got the flexibility of being able to get that solar power to customers um, anywhere in the country or the world um, in really flexible commercial structures as well. And how much have you sort of deployed now? So we've got two megs on the ground, we've got another five megawatts under order, um, and we've got a pipeline for early next year of probably 20 megawatts plus, um, and starting to tackle some much larger utility scale projects as well in the order of 50 megawatts. That's fantastic, and um, just remind us exactly, as we can hear his little happy birthday um, singing in the background, remind us exactly how this actually started. 
So myself and my co-founder Eden Tian founded 5B back in 2013 um, and basically spawned from a, a light bulb idea, um, backyard prototyping, the classic kind of startup story. Um, but we're now in a production space with 3,000 square meters in Alexandra. So we've got a full factory operating with about 30 megawatts per annum capacity. Um, we've got a manufacturing partner in Adelaide with IXL Solar with about the same capacity. Um, just opened a, an office in Africa. Our general manager has just come over from Africa to, for the drinks here tonight and for our launch party this week. Um, so really starting to grow internationally as well, which is super exciting for us. That's fantastic. Do you ever imagine how successful it would be? Uh, I, I think um, we, we could imagine, but not in a, a literal sense. It, it's definitely kind of very real. Um, you're really starting to feel the impact of what we're doing. And, and for me as a technology developer to actually see not just the first technology, uh, the, the first unit of a block we developed, but actually we've now passed the first 150 and we're going to pass the next 200 and we're now thinking about the next 10,000 and the next 20,000. So it's actually the impact that we're wanting to have is becoming very tangible as well, which is very exciting. And so what was the germ of the idea in the first place? So basically the mission that we set out to achieve was making solar lower cost and more flexible to get it into the hands of more people in industries around the world. And the way we tackled that was through prefabrication. So moving um, cost and risk and time from the field and into the factory. And a factory environment is just a blissful place to, to, to build things compared to a, a field environment. Um, and dealing with all those risks in the factory, being able to run shifts, um, no, no wet weather events, access to much better and lower cost labour, better quality control. Um, anyone who's ever run production kind of knows that factory environments are the place to, to build stuff. Um, and that just really allows us to have a, a much greater impact once we're on site, really fast deployments, lower team sizes, um, less time on site. And so your technology then fully deployed would last for what length of time? It, depending on the project, but some of our projects are long-term 25-year assets, just as any other solar farm. Um, some of the projects, they'll be on site for a year or two. So um, we're really trying to emphasise that message that um, the redeployability is free optionality for us. Um, it, it's not a prerequisite. We actually cost less than a conventional solution, not more, because we're redeployable. Um, and really, we're starting to get a lot of traction in that, um, particularly in the, in the embedded and distributed kind of um, single-digit megawatt space, where um, shrinking down to that size from a utility scale project is quite difficult to do in terms of all the soft costs surrounding those projects. But there's a huge growth in that market, um, particularly around behind the meter projects. Um, and we offer this really modular, scalable approach where we can tackle all of those projects and really get economies of scale through our factory rather than through each individual project. Fantastic. Well, look, um, thanks very much, Chris, and well done for getting through the back, background noise and uh, good luck with the project. Thank you. We'll get back for a drink then. <laughs> we will. So that was Chris McGrath from 5B and um, look, two young guys out there um, changing things in the solar industry. Pretty interesting stories. There's more than two there now. Uh, I, they've got a big party coming up and I went to one uh, a while back that they had and they've got a big crew, huge facilities. It's, it's, it's terrific to see, um, you know, entrepreneurial, outside the box kind of people succeeding just with an idea that makes sense to solve a problem and, and and that's what those guys have done it's a clever little product it's really elegant um and um you know all power to them hope they do really well and look speaking of that party is on tomorrow night i can't quite remember where but they did say look put the word out and invite more people along they'd like to see as many people there as possible so <laughs> at, their, at their factory uh at their factory in um, alexandria i think alexandria not far from, yes, not far from us yeah, yes yeah 
Okay, well, you'll be wandering down there, no doubt. Um, so, now, Nigel, um, back to business. Um, a major report came out on the solar industry. Tell us all about it. Yeah, it did. The, um, the EAPVPS uh, latest report, they release a report every year, which is a whole bunch of statistics. You know how we, you know how we love acronyms. We love them. Sorry, and, and in fact, cool. technically, it's the UNSW EAPVPS, and it was the APVI who were involved in it. So, and for those who don't know, um, Renata, Dr. Renata Egan, one of the founders here at Solar Analytics, she's she's a stalwart of the APVI and travels travels the world, bless her, um, being involved in all sorts of different projects like this one. And, you know, so part of her gig here is to try and keep the IEA um, honest and um, uh, and keep this PVPS report honest, and it's always a challenge. She she said, you know, battling with the IEA uh, is is a bit of a challenge. Um, but uh, Renata gave me a sneak peek the other week, and so I, what I've done is I've picked out the key statistics from skimming through the report that were really interesting about Australia. Uh, first one. Um, um, actually, this is a global one. So there's now more than 400 gigawatts of PV installed um, to date worldwide. So big numbers. Uh, China, this is just last year. Uh, China, I beg your pardon, that's uh, that's installed today. Um, China alone last year installed more than 50 gigawatts, which is more than all of Australia's generating capacity uh, ever. Uh, and they did that in just one year. Uh, and that was even after some cuts and tightening up and, and, and tariff reductions and stuff. Um, Australia was only 1% of total demand for PV last year, but is 2% of total cumulative installed capacity, um, which is small numbers, but actually very, very impressive given our relatively small size as a country and our relatively small size in terms of energy demand. So uh, really, really interesting. Um, uh, Point number four that I picked up, uh, Australia went up a notch to position eight in the world um, last year. Um, To get into the top 10, um, you need to now have installed more than 945 megawatts um, to, to even get in the top 10. Um, so we're still in the top 10 and actually improved a notch, which is great. Um, we are now 3% of total, uh, sorry, more than 3% of total demand, um, was delivered by PV in Australia. Um, and interestingly forecast to be 5% of demand this year, according to the report. So, you know, big growth is, is expected by the end of this year, which going by everything that's going on is definitely going to happen. Uh, 0.5 in 2017, the Australian market was underpinned by residential, as we know, um, um, 0.7, uh, well, sorry, I'm getting my numbers mixed up. Um, uh, uh, 130 gigawatts of global production capacity now globally. Factories, uh, that's factories, the nameplate capacity. So what they're theoretically capable of making it, but 130 gigawatts of global production capacity can spit out of a solar factory, all our solar factories combined around the world. Of course, most of that is in China now, but, um, Huge numbers. Um, Australia is the fourth biggest in watt peak per capita at 297 watts uh, per capita, um, which is fantastic. We're just behind um, uh, Germany, um, Japan, and Belgium, who are uh, who are leading. Germany, uh, for what it's worth, has 514 watts per capita, almost double what we do. Um, but um, yeah, again, as a small country, really, really impressive. And there's actually a very good chance we could end up being first or second in 2018. So that's one to watch out for. 
when the next report comes out. Um, almost 3 million people employed worldwide, which is more than the entire population of Western Australia or South Australia, the ACT, NT and TAS combined just in PV. Now, that's a statistic I like to hear. Um, so, you know, some really, really amazing stuff coming out of that report. Well worth a read. Well, let's do that, yeah. Well, we should do that, um, and we'll try and get a report up on the website about that in the next couple of days as well. Now, look, um, you've got a couple of quick things about sort of crap solar. Um, let's just run through them quickly because, um, um, yeah, let us know what you got. It's been a full show. It's been, it's, been it's, a full show. It's been a full um, show, and, really... and we're on the road. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Everything's crazy. Um, really quick one. Um, so, you know, not really crap solar, but, you know, some interesting statements that I saw in various media about what's happened with True Value Solar. As everyone knows, um, they um, have wound up uh, over the last few weeks and they've, they've, it's hit the mainstream press. And there's been a lot of interesting statements made by the company about why that happened and and it's all basically down to you know the ferocity of competition in Australia so um interesting to I'm I'm really can't wait to see if more comes out around the back end of that so that we can really understand what happened um tip number 2 um you you often see pictures uh, particularly on uh, crap solar uh, our favorite website and also um um some web pages promoting solar where you'll see someone standing up on the roof standing on the solar panels or washing them or whatever interestingly there was a fantastic video from Enreal it's a few years old now but uh, it's not brand new, but uh, there was a video from Enreal doing the rounds showing exactly how much damage can be caused to a solar panel by walking on it. You can't see it. It's not visible to the eye, but when they use infrared cameras and power the panels up and actually had people walking across them, you could see cracks forming in cells. You could see hot spots that were coming up as a result of that. So, um, you know, crap solar tip, if you see your installer walking around on the face of your panels, the frames are a little bit different. They're more robust. You can get away with that if you absolutely have to. But walking on the center of a panel is an absolute no-no. Um, you won't see the damage, but over time, you will suffer power loss. So uh, if you see your installer walking around on your solar panels, get on their case. Um, and the last one was all about... Um, High voltage on the grid. Now, we've mentioned this a couple of times. There have been some really interesting posts, uh, particularly by a couple of solar analytics customers saying, hey, we've seen how high the voltage is. We've been watching that using your, your app and using the monitoring that you've got. Um, but I actually saw a post the other night from someone uh, on an inverter showing that the grid voltage at 286 volts, Giles. That's, That's about going to blow 25%. Fuses. That's going to blow a lot of fuses. It is absolutely uh, way outside the specifications. And the more that we look at this issue, the more obvious it becomes. So there is a, there are a lot of problems with network voltage out there now that the network guys need to get on top of. And may I add, not by simply bludgeoning the solar industry and putting more export limits on it. Thank you. Well, that's exactly right. And some of those um, voltage issues have been long-standing and only just really coming to light now, um, possibly because... Yeah, because we can see them TV now. The, well, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. With all the smart technology like yours, our sponsor, um, um, Solar Analytics. Um, and um, we <laughs> should also thank our other sponsors, um, PV Cell yeah. too. So, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, look... Um, well, look, thank you. We might just wrap it up there. I do want to point out to um, maybe alert people to the Driven podcast um, this week and next week. I've actually been busy going, running off and doing some test drives on electric vehicles. So last week I did the... Stop um, it. 
Did they let you in me. a car? They let me in the car. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. And um, so last did you get to drive? Oh, for a couple of hours, both times. You know, I spent the whole day in a oh. Hyundai Ionic up in um, Brisbane and went out to the suburbs and the hills to the west and um, down to uh, Lighthouse Point or whatever it's called. And um, that was not fantastic. Life, is it? Podcast EV guy. It's, it's you not are? bad. And then, and then today I was in a Jaguar I Pace and um, no. went down to Wollongong and um, through the National Park. What? And um, yes. Get out. Unbelievable. Wow. Unbelievable. So beautiful um, day from drive down there. Absolutely, yeah. And just look, I mean you've got to say with with uh, look, I was impressed with both cars. I'm not allowed to say about the Hyundai Ionic until Friday because um they they sort of banned the um that is embargoed until then. So if I if I told you I'd have to shoot you, but um but um but look tomorrow I'll have the um the the uh, te- test drive impressions from the Jaguar I-Pace, and then on Friday we'll have the ones from the um, Hyundai Ionic. Just to say though that electric vehicles in general are a joy to drive, and um, wow. I can't argue about wow. that with either of these two. So um, I just wish I could afford the bastards, but still, um, <laughs> all very interesting. So look, um, Nigel, thanks very much, and look, um, apologies to the listeners. Um, as you can see down here in um, in the back streets of Enmore. There's not that many we electric can't vehicles. See. So we everything, can't see. We're everything. just having to imagine. <laughs> We're just having well, to imagine. Hear... But the thought of you in a back lane in, in Newtown's just it's made the whole show for me. Well, there you go. There you go. I hope it's made, that, I hope it's made the show for the listeners. Right? And uh, <laughs> thanks to our very patient producer for putting up with all this rubbish um, yeah. and um, and all this background noise. And it's probably going to be a nightmare to edit, but um, I hope it turns out to be a nice product for the listeners. So um, we'll be back probably for something pretty close to an end-of-year show next week. So um, yep. a big look forward to what's happening in 2019. Yeah, fantastic. Good on you. Okay, thanks, guys. Tolerance Artists was brought to you by SunWiz, makers of PVCell software that gives retailers the tools to stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar consultancy. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy. Music